You know, there's no word that fits parenting better than action, is it? And today, we're going to be talking about one of the most important activities that we can do, this faith relay with our family. And I don't want anybody to feel excluded, particularly in this 9 o'clock service, because some of you might be saying, you know what? I have parented my kids, and now I have my grandkids. And, and so I just want to encourage you, every single one of us are engaged in the faith relay, regardless of our stage of parenting or whether we're a parent or not, because God's assigned people to us to love in his name and then share our faith with them. And so today, I want to just extend that invitation to you. Maybe you're going to fix a few people in mind. I had four neighbors come to mind when Jared invited us to pray with him, and they have stuff going on in their life, and I've been praying for him to come to know Jesus, have had opportunities to share, but you know, I just was re-engaged with them, and they're four of the people besides my grandkids, which I'm going to have three by the end of this year. That's just mind-blowing. And those are my focus in this little adventure of the faith relay and parenting. And so I want to invite you to get somebody in mind. Who is it that God's asking you to raise or you to share your faith with this morning? And I think you'll see the application. I'd love to see a show of hands right now. For those of you who have seen the bumper sticker that says, I spent my kid's inheritance. Oh, yeah, a lot of us have seen that one. Okay, now that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek. I don't, it's not my favorite bumper sticker, but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek about the whole, you know, kids expecting to get something from their parents. Um, But the truth is, parents do go, have a lot of questions, and spend a lot of time trying to figure out their estate. They put a lot of effort into planning how they'll pass their material resources from one generation to another generation. And today, we think there might be a more important question to ask than that as a parent. As much effort as we put into passing on our material resources, as little or as much of them as there might be, it's even more important to ask these questions. What do you want your kids' inheritance to be? What do you want to leave them with when you go to be with Jesus? And how are you arranging for that now in this life and time? Our answers to these questions will direct our behaviors and our decisions in parenting our kids, whatever age they are. Now, it's our choice. We can give our kids an inheritance that's completely material, that's temporary and fleeting, only for this life. Or we can prioritize giving our kids an inheritance that's going to last forever and is eternal. And that's the one we want to talk about today. You see, what I want most for my kids is what God wants most for his kids. What he wants most for his kids is that we'd be reconnected to him in a love relationship where he is helping us get to the plans, experience the plans and the purposes that he has for us and experience the destiny and the future that he's prepared for us. That's his passion for each one of his kids and that gets to be our passion the inheritance that we want to pass on to our kids. This is the faith relay that I'm really talking about this morning and that God this morning is inviting every one of us to participate in. Long before the first Olympics were ever held, there were great-grandparents running this relay. There were grandparents. There were parents. There were step-parents. There were guardians. 
And there were kids all involved in this faith relay. And I want to read with you out of Psalm 78, the first eight verses out of the New Living Translation. So I'll apologize in advance that the Bible's under your seat in front of you or the NIV. They'll still, they say the same thing, but they use a few different words, and I didn't want you to be surprised by that. Let's read about this faith relay. It says this in Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I'll speak to you in a parable. I'll teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories that we've heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We'll not hide these truths from our children. We'll tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation might know even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children so that each generation should set its hope anew in God or on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. I resisted the boomer urge to uh, only share the aspirational part of this verse by reading that last verse. Uh, because God's really clear in his word. He has both sides of it, uh, you know, the good and the bad. So we finished that entire thought there. Asaph, one of two choir directors for King David, wrote this psalm to teach us a lesson and to help us be more skillful in something. That's what a mascal really is. And in this case, he was trying to teach us about our parenting or our faith relay. Like a good coach, he starts it by telling them, hey, everyone, Come together, let's listen up, like a coach calling a team into a huddle. And then he shares the story of this relay race between generations, where we share our experiences with God and what we know of him from one generation to another, like a baton that's passed from person to person in a relay race. This is the relay that we're talking about, the faith relay. And you know, the, the same strategy that works in passing the baton in a relay race is the same strategy that works in handing off the faith baton. And we want to take a look at six strategies for passing the faith baton to your kids or your grandkids or those people in your life that God's put you there to influence and shape in their faith. Let's take a look. Strategy number one. Attack the zone. Stay engaged. Now, there's a zone around the running track in which the baton always has to be passed in or the team's disqualified. So every runner has a zone in which you have to pass. And you're to attack this zone. You don't let up. You run as hard and as fast as you can into that zone to give it. If you let up, it's a sure way to fail because the other runner's going to start running and you're not going to be able to catch him. So you run hard and fast. You tire yourself going into that. That's what's meant by this attack the zone. So what, how does that apply in the faith relay? It's, the point is that we have a focused season in which we get to pass the baton to our kids. We don't have forever. We don't have an endless number of laps around the track an endless number of days or months or weeks. In fact, we don't know how much time we're going to get. Now, my friends, 
excuse me, uh, Jared last week talked about this full engagement because that's what attacking the zone is all about, running fast and hard into the zone, making the most of the time. And last week he talked out of Ephesians 6 verse 4 about bringing our kids up in the instruction and training of the Lord and that word bring them up. He mentioned that it's about nourishing, cherishing, bringing something to maturity. It's about active engagement. This is not que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be leaving my kids to just run this on their own and figure it out on their own. This is hands-on, intense parenting. And this is what we mean when we say attack the zone. I want to just take a look at the four styles of parenting that Jared brought up last week because they're so applicable in this faith relay, and we're going to apply it there. First of all, in the lower left quadrant, we have the neglectful parent. And he mentioned that there's several expressions of that. And one of those is inconsistency. This is the parenting style where the rules are always changing or uh, the rules, there's rules sometimes and rules not other times. There's no follow-through maybe. Another expression of inconsistent parenting that he mentioned was hypocrisy, where, where our kids are told, do as I say, not as I do. And then there's just the purposeful avoidance where the parent decides they're going to be their kid's pal. They're not going to provide oversight of any kind. Well, Okay, that's a whole approach to parenting. How does that apply? What does that look like when we're talking about the faith relay, passing our faith on to our kids? It looks like this. When we determine that my kid's relationship with Jesus is someone else's responsibility. It might be the church. It might be a Christian school. It might be another family member. It might be an extended family. Grandma's taking care of that for us. That kind of thing. So let's take a look at that second style in the lower uh, the upper left quadrant the authoritarian and this parent is focused on the don'ts and the accompanying punishments or negative consequences that would come out of that so a don't emphasis a rule emphasis more than a relationship emphasis and mind you there's good things to each of these but it's bringing the balance to it so authoritarian focuses on that what does that look like in introducing my kids to a relationship with Jesus well, this is where I introduce a relationship with Jesus as a series of rules, all on the negative side of things. Don't do this and don't do that. Instead of a relationship where it's all about respecting God, obeying God, but we don't talk much about the love of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. It's more on the side of don't do this. So on the aspirational parent then, and that's the lower right corner, there on the chart that you're looking at. And this parent, made famous by the boomer style, was focused on the do's, the possibilities, oh, the dream and potential that your, parent, that your child could achieve and that they could be in Christ. And I like to say this is in our relationship with Jesus, we teach our kids, the aspirational parent teaches their child to focus on God's love. But they miss the respect for God. So let's talk about what that might look like out of John where Jesus says, you are my friends. So the aspirational parent jumps on that and says, God's your friend, honey. He's with you day in, day out. You can talk to him anytime. Isn't that wonderful? He loves you. He cares about you. That's, isn't that true? That is all 100% true. But you know what? They never get to the second half of the verse. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So now there's this respect coming in for God who is a consuming fire who's an awesome God 
who created the worlds and me, and it, he's worthy of my respect and my obedience. So I've got love, and then, but no respect. That's the aspirational one in this faith relay. And then the loving one, where it's both sides of the coins. This is where we finally pull it all together. And, hey, thank you, Jesus. We all have moments like this, don't we? Or get it right. It all comes together. The do's and the don'ts. The full engagement with both sides of the coin. And this attacking the zone is all about that. Taking both sides of that coin and bringing all of God's story into our kids, introducing our kids to Jesus, where we introduce them to the God who loves them and the God who wants them to obey so that they can realize the future and realize all those cool possibilities and all that potential that he has for them. It's, I want you to love God and obey him. I want you to trust God and obey him. My friends, Ron and Markey, had this down well. I don't know if it's because they had uh, foster kids. In a 12-year period, they had 15 foster kids, and they really understood that you got to attack the zone with both sides because they understood they didn't have these kids for a particular length of time. They never knew how long they'd get them. And in the 12 years, five of the 15 took the baton and said yes to Jesus Christ. This really helped them to realize. They said to realize that their kids, they were living on time that they didn't know if they'd get. They would say this today, attack the zone, stay engaged. We don't have forever to pass the baton to our kids. This brings us to strategy number two, create a big target. Pray. Create a big target, pray. Oh, the, the parent's greatest weapon. <laughs> in a relay, the receiving runner receives an obvious spot to put the baton in. It's a V. That's what they're trained to do is make a real clear place to do that. And the target is a hand in a relay baton. But with our kids in the faith relay or with the person you're sharing with, it's a heart target. And the only way to get at a heart target is through God. So that's why prayer becomes the critical element here in creating a bigger target. You see, when I am a runner, I'm making this as obvious as I can so that that person passing can do it. But when it's a faith relay, I'm praying for God to work, for them to want and to love God and to respond to his love. Now, I remember the first time I was encouraged to do this in a very direct way in my parenting uh, because our kids were young, and there was a woman named Bobby who had raised seven kids, just amazing kids that loved God, married amazing Christians, and yes, they had their foibles. It wasn't a perfect family, but it was an admirable family, one that you went, I want to hear how they did this. And so I had lunch with her one day and asked her if she would share with me, and she said, I only have one piece of advice for you. Pray for your kids to hunger and thirst for God. And then she shared Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for rightness, for God's ways. That's what it's referring there. For they shall be filled. And just that one prayer, beginning to pray that for my kids. Now, interestingly, I began to pray that for both my kids, to hunger and thirst, to want to do right, to want to follow God, to want to know God better. And it was interesting, when Hillary was 21 and graduating from college, I prepared three photo albums of her life, two of her whole first 21 years, and then an album of just the celebrations of her life. And in that, I went back to all my prayer journals and dug them out, went through them, and took all the symptoms and weaned out of that a whole set of prayers but what was amazing of 22 pages of prayers typed and I just picking little snippets out and when I looked at what happened in her life 
the Spirit had directed me to pray for her, and it directly matched up with the milestones, the spiritual milestones. When she said yes to Jesus, and she wasn't my soonest one to do that, and when she was baptized in the Holy Spirit in her sophomore year of high school through her small group leader, and when she was baptized in water, all of those, I could look back and see how God had led me to pray. So these spiritual milestones, create a big target. Pray for your kids. Strategy number three, you got to share the stick. At some point, you got to share it. You can't, it can't just be kept in one person's hand. You got to link up with someone else, with your child, with that neighbor, and put it in their hands as well. Well, Psalm 78 says this really well. Now, we know how they do this. How they share the stick in a relay is they designate half the sticks for one runner, the incoming, and half the sticks for the outgoing runner. And they know which half is theirs, and they do not put their hands on the other one's sack because you got to share it, right? You can't fight over it. What does that look like in the faith relay with our kids? Psalm 78 said it well that we read. It says, tell his glorious deeds, his power, and his mighty wonders, and teach the word there meaning to teach with both words and deeds. That means we model and we talk. And teach what? His laws. And that word law there is the word they use in the Bible. There's a lot of words to talk about specific parts of God's law. But this is the big overall word. This is the umbrella word for all of God's truth. So we want to model all of God's ways to our kids and tell them all about his ways. So I call this show and tell. It is true. We really did learn everything we needed to know in kindergarten. Show and tell. And I'm going to start with the tell side of it because that's how this psalm laid it out. We tell God's story from Scripture and in our life. Now, that word to tell there is interesting. It means to inscribe, to tally, to record a mark. You've done this maybe before, done the slash marks. You're counting something. One, two, three, four, five. That's what it means. Every time we tell our, our kids or share with another person the great things that God's done in our life or the great things that we know about him from scripture that he's shown us in his word, we're writing on their life. We're putting a score mark there. We're inscribing. We're not inscribing a piece of paper or stone. We're inscribing their hearts with who God is. It's an awesome thing to do show and tell. So what are we supposed to tell about? Well, it lists three things here just as examples. First of all, his praiseworthy deeds. And this two words in English is really one word in Hebrew. It's, it's used frequently in the Psalms. And it refers to God's great miracles to save his people, starting back at the beginning when he saved Noah and all those guys from the flood, and then when he saved the children of Israel out of Egypt. And there's, there's just a whole series of all these miracles that he's done that are recorded right here in Scripture. And the greatest one of all, him sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. It's about that, but interestingly, his wonderful deeds aren't limited to history, to what he has done. It also includes what he's doing, those little day-to-day -day things that he's doing in your life that sometimes we forget to tell our kids about, something amazing that happened that you might share at the dinner table. We inscribe that on our kids' hearts. Now, interestingly for me, we also tell his power, um, which is just the great, his ability to do anything. It's the almighty God part of God 
that there's nothing too difficult for him and all the stories out of our life that reaffirm that for him. And then it says the wonders that he's done. And the word wonders there refers to both the great and the difficult. It doesn't just refer to the spectacular as in a 4th of July fireworks kind of way. Um, it refers to the difficult things that he, that he turned around. That situation where he put a couple's relationship back together. That is a wonderful deed. That's as good as any fireworks show could ever get. So we get to tell God's big story, inscribe that on our kids' heart, and we also get to tell my little story to my kids. I say my little because he's so much bigger than any one of us. So those are both part of that. I remembered uh, when our kids were in high school that I suddenly realized there was a whole segment of our life that they knew very little about what God had done in that season. And someday they were going to be in that season. That's called newly married because they weren't around, right? Jared and I were married for four and a half years before we had Jordan. And then they were too little for another three or four years, right, to really get to hear the story and recall it. So we made a purposeful effort to start sharing with them some of those stories of those early years. And particularly before they got married, we made sure they heard some of that. So they'd understand what it looked like because it didn't look like now (laughs) where they were at. We don't just tell, we show. We live our lives in such a way that our kids can see what following Jesus looks like and be encouraged or want to do the same. So I asked our kids if they'd share with me some things that Jared and I had done that have encouraged them in their own relationship with Jesus when they were still living at home. Here's some of Hillary's and then Jordan's. Hillary said, leading by example, talking about what you'd read in the Bible, Providing books, Bibles, and music and making it available to us. Encouragement. Praying for us both together and separate. And letting us know you're proud of us and the decisions we make regarding church and Jesus and our relationships. Jordan said, here's the bullet points on the things you and dad did that encouraged me in my own relationship with Jesus. You provided journals in age-appropriate or cool designs. He has that in quotes for us. Uh, To encourage daily journaling. He said, there were times when I thought this was lame. Only to come back at a later time and use the journal. I still have my journals and I enjoy seeing my journey in Christ. Provided daily devotional books with themes around my personal interests. Sports, teen issues, leadership, etc. He said. Family devotions or regular prayer, not just at meals, but for important decisions. And when we prayed for others who were in need, this demonstrated how to pray and modeled how to integrate prayer into everyday life, not just at mealtimes or Sunday and church activities. You provided Christian music and worship music. That was really big for both of them. And then you supported attendance at camps and activities that supported our growing in our relationship with Jesus. And you know, this weekend, folks, is the last weekend to get the early bird special for camp. And it's not too late to give and help a student go as well. So if you want to kind of have your finger on somebody else's baton, that's a way you can do it. And if you as a parent want to have a winning strategy for your child picking up the baton, then don't use these opportunities as a disciplinary tool. Use them as a way to forge ahead with your child's journey with Jesus. I encourage you that. And then he went on to say, challenge, you challenged us to take leadership roles in youth group or service activities that involve showing the love of Christ to those in need and provided consistent modeling of morning devotions, maintaining your routine over the years. Okay, so being the mom that I am, 
I wanted to ask myself, what's missing on that list? I tried to get some dirt, but you know, you can tell they were raised by aspirational parents, okay? I'll just start it right now because they had a really hard time sharing any dirt with us. <laughs> and I told them I was gonna t we we're going to take credit for that, for not modeling that very well, you know, how to give us a little criticism on uh, what else we could have done. But I will say this, what I saw missing was they never listed a sermon, and they heard a lot of those, <laughs> and they never listed any lectures that we gave. And we gave some of those, as maybe some of you have it, from one time to another. That's because we show our kids what a relationship with Jesus looks like and how he influences our life and the decisions that we make and the difficulties that we come through. And this is what confirms our telling our story to them and his story to them. Share the stick. Show and tell God's goodness and his greatness, both in your life and in the world around you. That brings us to strategy number four. You gotta let go at the appropriate time. Let go of the stick at the appropriate time. Empower your kids. Now, it is true, you cannot run the race for them. That's the reality, and, and our parents couldn't run it for us. They have to have an opportunity to make faith their own. Dr. Howard Hendricks, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, just a wonderful uh, parent mentor and a trainer of Christian leaders for many, many years. She, I heard him early on speak at a Multnomah event for pastors, and he shared with us, so he was talking about parenting, he said, whatever you do for your kids that they can do for themselves, you're handicapping them. And that little saying stuck with me, and that applies to our faith. And you know what? This is a bigger struggle for those of us where our family both of us loved Jesus. In my family, that wasn't the case, so they didn't have the problem of trying to do too much for us because um, they weren't all in agreement about that. But in a family where, you're both, where both parents are saved, this is a challenge to let go of the baton. So what is the right time? Well, I just want to encourage you. It's a spirit-led process for each child. You already know this because our kids aren't little carbon coffees. And so you have to really listen to the Lord about this. And it's a process in a relay. You see, when you pass this baton, the person's not just standing there like a piece of lead waiting for the baton to come. They've already started the race. They start running before you ever get to them with the baton. Then they pass it. The same is true with our kids. What does this look like then? This means that when our kids have accepted Christ, we gradually leave more and more of the responsibility for their relationship with Jesus to them. Now, this can sometimes be a struggle for us because you know what? Our kids might choose to disobey. They might choose to disregard Jesus' invitation to them to spend time with them. You know, when you move from having devotions with your kids to letting them, taking them to pick out their own devotional materials and they start doing devotions, they might hit two times in a week. They might skip a whole month and then come back to it. And that's every parent's little fear. That's why they keep control, try to hold on to it. But here's what happens when we do this. When the baton is exchanged, they pass it to the other person and both hands are remaining on it. And we think that that'll give a stronger grip to the person taking it. Our child will get to have a better grip on it if we hang on to it a little longer. But what happens instead is this awkward struggle where the child's trying to move forward in the race and the other runner is worn out and dragging behind them because the front runner doesn't know who's going to get control. And you know what happens in real life in a, in a regular relay? Nine times out of ten, the baton gets dropped. 
So you see this awkward struggle between parent and child where they're wrestling for control of their relationship with Jesus and the need to make it their own. And often they'll drop out of faith for a period of time. There's other reasons kids drop out of faith too, so not saying that that's the only reason, but that can be one of the things that happens. They reject all the expressions of their parents' faith because there's this wrestling match going on with it. Well, fear is often behind this. Fear has motivated even Olympic-level relay teams. In fact, in the Beijing Olympics, the U.S. women's 4x100-meter relay team, this is what was attributed to their baton drop and, and consequentially their disqualification because that's what happened. They played it so conservatively, trying to ensure that the grip, that the baton didn't get dropped, that what happened? It did get dropped because the runner bringing it held on to it too long and there was a struggle and they didn't know who, to, who was hanging on to it and they both let go. And the team was out. So we have to be willing to let our kids fail temporarily, even when they're living with us. Because I'm suggesting this process starts back then. The intention is good. If we just hang on a little longer, they'll have a better grip. But it's actually counterintuitive. That, isn't, that doesn't ensure a better grip on the baton. Well, I can remember when the, I had this as a spirit-led process and the Lord really highlighted for me with our kids, they're ready, you need to let go of the baton in a big-time way. We'd moved, we were moving to L.A., and I was a little concerned that we were, sending, you know, that we're going there at our kids' final years of high school. And the Lord said, it's okay, Ann. I'm sending you as missionaries, the whole family, and your kids have it. It's inscribed. It's in them. You've got to let go a little bit of that baton. And it was really cool to see what God did because our son became spiritual life director at his school. Then he went on to be an RA at UCLA in a very difficult environment to be the person who put the case for Christ on his bulletin board outside for all of his uh, students in the dorm to pick up and read if they wanted to. He knew how to live his faith out in hard times. Our daughter became the, an intern a freshman year of college at Church on the Way, following her youth group years there. And then she went on to be the children's pastor for a church plant while she was still her final two years of college getting her elementary ed degree. Our kids soared in their relationship with Jesus. But there was that moment where I had to let go of the stick and let them run the race. Empower your kids. And then strategy number five, maintain good form. This is all about finishing well. And this is part of the show part of show and tell. This is a powerful picture for our kids when we finish well in our own race with Jesus, our own relationship with Jesus. And when I say finish well, yes, I'm talking about the finish line. I'm talking about till death do us part. And I'm not parting then because I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus through thick and thin. Hebrews 12.1 says, let's run the race that's marked out for us with endurance. Our kids need to see us, not just hear us talk about being married for life, not just hear us talk about loving Jesus for our whole life, not just seeing, or hearing us say it's important to keep growing in Jesus our whole life. They need to see us doing that and being that for them. We get to show them what it looks like to see God's faithfulness across the seasons of life and all the difficulties and the ups and downs that come with living enough time on this earth. I can still remember 
our final moments with Jake, Jared's dad. You see, this August will be the one-year anniversary of Jake's going to be with Jesus. I can still remember all of us standing around his hospital bed and Jean, his wife of 69 years, seated next to him, holding his hand. And four generations, including our granddaughter, standing together around him. The grandkids, the great-grandkids, and the kids and their spouses. And all of us singing his favorite worship songs. For him, it happened to be hymns, but maybe for one of you, it would be singing Mighty to Save. My question is, if that were you today, what would your kids be doing around your bed? Maintain your form. Let's finish well together. Strategy number six, stay in your lane. <laughs> it's true, you're going to disqualify your team if you get outside, if you break the boundaries. You know, if this little baton falls and goes, it stays in the lane, it's, you still can pick it up and keep going. But if it gets outside the lane, or if you step outside your lane, it's all over for your team. Well, in this case, God's good. So you're not going to be zapped or anything. Not suggesting that or disqualified. But guess what? It's futile. That's the point. It's futile when you get outside your lane. This is taking responsibility for the part that's not your part. We do our part. That's show and tell. And God does the big part. He's the one who saves. I can't save my kids. You can't save your kids. We, we have no um, ability to do that. We show and tell and God saves. Scripture makes it clear that it's the Father that draws us. Even this morning, if your heart is being drawn to the Lord, if you are starting to think, you know, I want to check Jesus out. I'd like to know more about him. You, we don't even come up with that on our own. It says the Father draws us and sheds his love on us. In fact, he shows us kindness. It's his kindness that leads to repentance and his tolerance and his patience. And the Holy Spirit's the one who convinces us. I don't convince my kids that they're mess-ups, like me. I, it's not us that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that's agreed to convince and convict them of sin. And so we let God be God, and we do our part, show and tell, while God saves them. Now, it's good to know that God's timing is not ours, so that we don't give up easily. And every person is worth the wait. In fact, listen to these words out of 2 Peter 3, 9, where God tells us that he's not only, he's so patient, wanting so many people to know him, that he's holding off his return. And here's how he puts it. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants our kids to have a faith walk with him, to be reconnected with him more than any of us do. And if God wants that, then we can have a confidence that he'll get to them. And you know what? Nothing makes God happier than his kids getting reunited with him. Luke 15, he tells us that the story of the prodigal is a great lesson. And if you have a prodigal right now in your life, I hope you'll take courage from this story. Because in that story, what's his, what's his response when the son gets reconnected? Let's party! That's right. He says, we've got to celebrate. My son who was lost is found, who was dead, is now alive. It's an awesome party and feast. There's nothing that makes God happier. Well, Ruth and Billy Graham's oldest child, Graham, Franklin Graham, was a prodigal. He spent a lot of his early adult years walking his own way. He was not real anxious to grab the baton of the faith that he'd seen in his mom and dad. He's rebelling against it. Now he leads his dad's evangelistic organization. But this poem, written by Ruth for her son during the years when he wasn't carrying the baton. 
She waited for the call that never came. She searched every mail for a letter or a note or a card that bore his name. And on her knees at night and on her feet all day, she stormed heaven's gate on his behalf. She pled for him in heaven's high court. Be still and wait the word that he gave. And so she knew that he would do in and for and with him that which she never could. So doubts ignored, she went about her chores with joy, knowing those spurned, his word was true. The prodigal had not returned, but God was God, and there was work to do. Stay in your lane. It's not all up to us. We get to show and tell, even with our own kids. But God is the one who saves. You have a baton, and if you are several in your family unit, I'd invite you to share it together with me. I want you to just think about for a minute, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? He says so much more than the words that he gives me to share. So I just wanted to review with you, though, these six strategies, because I believe that God is encouraging you. I know he encouraged me with one of them for even my four neighbors, so it wasn't just about my grandkids. It was also about them. And the first one's attack the zone, stay engaged. Create a big target, pray for the person. Share the stick, you got to show and tell. Let go at the appropriate time. Empower your kids. And maintain good form, finish well. And stay in your lane. Trust God to do what only God can do.